Hey guys, welcome to episode 27 of the JV Club. This is uh, an episode with the marvelous Elizabeth Lame from Totally Lame Podcast. I'm hoping that um, some of you have already, maybe you've already listened to the episode that I did with Elizabeth um, a couple years ago or a year ago. Boy, that's just a sterling example of my inability to tell time in any kind of a real way. Um, That's how Elizabeth and I met. We talk about that on this episode of the podcast, but she is um, just a a lovely, lovely person, Uh, makes me laugh, knows how to go dark um, and knows how to stay light. I don't know. I don't know. Those are my favorite funny people who can do both uh, expertly, and she is one. Um, So there are some laughs. There are some tears on this episode. You may feel neither. You may feel nothing but an unpleasant flat line throughout the course of your experience with this episode, but I don't think so. I think think you'll enjoy it. And um, I wanted to get straight into some shout-outs. I thank everybody for bearing with me while I've been adjusting to HuffPost Live, but it's been um, really cool, and it's been really exciting to cover the RNC and this upcoming week we'll be covering the DNC. I guess it'll be the last day of the Democratic Convention when this episode releases on Thursday. And um, feels good to be kind of participative in that way. So I hate to be a nudge, but guys, I do encourage you to continue to stay informed and um, do prepare to vote in November. And uh, I don't want to get too much of a bias going on here, but I would say that if in either direction, but specifically in the direction that I lean to, um, (laughs) if you think that this election is like, you know, all wrapped up and you don't need to worry about it, I would just say, I would still say be active and be mindful. And, uh, and, um, if you want the candidate to win, you really should get involved and whatever way that means for you. Um, all right, that's enough of the preachiness. I'm sorry. Uh, shout outs on Facebook, wonderful posts, uh, picture comments, and little personal letters from Katie and Rachel, Kimberly, Jen W, Paul C, uh, Rebecca is posts about me every week, um, whichever episode we're in, in the midst of releasing, and she's just, uh, She's just a a gem for doing that. So, Rebecca, thank you for that, as always. Joanna L., Kathleen, uh, all of those being Facebook again. And then uh, via Twitter, Jennifer C. And I actually owe more Twitter shout-outs, but I'm behind in my Twitter feed. So I'm going to get in there, send you guys some replies, and also do some shout-outs next week. Um, On the Nerdist site, uh, Jason, I want to thank. And then uh, Jennifer, a.k.a. Malcriada, on the Gray's uh, page. And Scott B. on the Gray uh, feedback page gave, uh, cut and pasted a really, really great story that pertains to the podcast that... uh, I encourage everybody to check out. It was terrific and very thoughtful of him to include that. Um, Will Y sent me a beautiful email. Uh, Kate or Caitlin F sent me a stunning, stunning email. And then on Yvette's uh, feedback page on the Nerdist site, Danielle, Monia, Christina, Stephen, Sharon, uh, Caroline, Shane, Taylor, and Alyssa. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful feedback. Jules, uh, great feedback and and amazing Pinterest as usual. Uh, Check out the Pinterest JV club page um for basically visual representations of all of these great episodes that um jules has done for us i just love it i get such a huge kick out of it um and i think that's it so guys enjoy uh, i wish i had more news for you about cora for those of you who are big cora fans other than that you know the second season will be airing uh her- hopefully early next year we have already recorded it. it's being animated and it is dynamo dynamite 
It's dynamite. It's a dynamo dynamite of a season. Um, thanks, guys. And uh, I will uh, talk to you next week. Now entering Nerdist.com. We are not, we're not going to be undone this time. We have tried to do this before. Uh, We joked about that on the Kulop episode that Elizabeth and I have tried to podcast before, but we just end up getting so wrapped up and talking (laughs) offline that then we're like, oh, we can't get, we can't do a podcast right now on top of everything We're doing it. But we're doing it. We have microphones in hand. We do. And we still, we still did do some talking beforehand, but. Not enough we to kill it this. In. Yeah, um, and this. So, so I guess in the long and the short of it is that this is a long time coming. Yeah. Welcome to the JV Club. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. This might. Be, I think we've come full circle to the degree now that we can't be friends after this because we became friends when I did your podcast. Oh yeah. And so this is it. That we'll be lovers after this. Oh, I like that you're taking it to another level. I was suggesting that the circle was complete and we just had to part ways forever. But if you want this to be take it to the next level, I'm a hundred percent comfortable with that. Okay, good. I know you're in a really serious relationship and I'm (laughs) married. married, But let's throw it all away. Let's toss it all (laughs) to the side and see where this takes us. I like it. This is gonna be great. I really like your animals. I know you do start. I know you've you've so. animal sat for me in the past. Yes. And when you animal sit, you really mean it. You're not like, oh, she came by and threw some food at him. Oh, yeah. No, it's a serious sit for me. Were you always, did you always have that relationship to animals? Or is that a recent, I mean, I'm not saying you went from hating animals to being a convert, but. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I was about to go somewhere really dark yeah. that I don't even think is funny. Um, <laughs> no, I always did. I, I had a really hard year in sixth grade and that was the year that um my parents this is not how one should procure an animal by the way but my parents got drunk at like an auction and came home with a a two-month-old toy poodle (laughs) i love it (laughs) which i'm very against buying animals now you should always adopt Um, i can't believe they came home drunk from an auction with a poodle that doesn't (laughs) seem like it's a real story it's yeah so and that was like the best night of my life like imagine your parents you're at your sixth grade having a hard time at school you're at, you're in the throes of the awkward phase mm-hmm. and your parents come home with the most precious little pup and uh my dad my mom made a joke well my dad made a joke that he thought the girl that was like showcasing the poodle came with what their bid was but um nope just the poodle oh, that's real dad humor for you. Oh, no. So that was like, so I became obsessed with like drawing her. I I really oh. became obsessed with her, Zoe. Um, and to be honest, we had a dog at the time. Oh, no. 
This is horrible. The dog that fell by the wayside when the toy I poodle really came home. I really do feel horrible guilt about this. Oh, I, no. I, I, I spend a lot of my time, as you know, like working with rescue. and Yeah. Are you making up for that? I might be. Yeah, what was your other dog's dog, name? Daisy. This is the one we got from the pound. I mean, um, even the fact that you brought her up as an afterthought <laughs> speaks to how fucked up that oh is. Oh my god, it's so sad. Oh no, I, Daisy. We got oh. her as a puppy. Now she was half German Shepherd, half Giant Schnauzer, and my mom was furious when we brought her home from the pound because my dad took me and my sister, and she she knew that this dog was going to be like a hundred pounds and my mom was five feet tall and weighed a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, Daisy just became too much to handle. And we kind of just kept, her. <laughs> this oh, no. <laughs> but it's true. We kept her like in the basement. <laughs> oh, God. It was a fin. It was a finished basement. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> bad to her oh no i really loved her though i had my moments with her <laughs> but <laughs> it wasn't like a cellar such a dark picture it was a finished basement <sighs> um where we watched tv that's okay. where we hung out so th- she was there sort of with the family right um but zoe <laughs> zoe came along and daisy oh, was a gentle zoe. giant zoe came along and was such a f- little bitch oh, to no. daisy oh oh no so, the, di- the family dynamics of family pets too on oh. top of regular family dynamics i don't know i i did i remember having special moments with daisy where i would like curl up with her but we just never trained her she's yeah. kind of out of control yeah it was all our fault and honestly i think we were like abusive like if i saw someone neglectful treated, certainly neglectful, abusive not neglect. abusive but yeah. Um, I feel real bad about it. And then, poor Daisy, I um, <laughs> I, when I was like seventeen, I I unplugged the the invisible fence because she used to go out indoor outdoor. How old was she by then? She must have been nine. And a, a guy I knew hit her. Because I unplugged the invisible fence for the gardeners to use, and I forgot to plug it back in. <sighs> and so a couple of days later, um, so yeah, I've always really loved dogs. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! This is horrible. The entire I've episode never talked is going to be this. like this. I I don't think I've ever talked about oh, not even Daisy. just on a podcast. I don't think I've ever talked about this. Like oh no. Well, first of all, let me say the invisible fence thing is not your fault. Um, you won't, well, I mean, I mean, uh, listen, I wasn't out to get her hit. By you weren't her. out to get her hit, and you were you were young, and it's it is a hard. It, I, I mean, obviously, you didn't mean any any ill will. Um, it happens so much with kids and pets. You know, that's it's like the cliche that you you beg for a pet, and then your parents get you a pet, and then you don't take care of the pet properly. I my I'll take this. I'll take the focus off of you. Okay, for please. A second. Thank you. Um, what I horrible had, thing did you do to an animal? Here's what I. I don't know. It wasn't. It was. It was the abuse of neglect again. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember why we settled on this in terms of what pet I had. 
But uh, when my parents split up, I had a cat and um, my cat, well, she was an outdoor cat. Mm-hmm. She was not, she actually wasn't allowed inside because my mom was allergic. Mm-hmm. So I had an outdoor cat. Her name was Saba. And, um, and she got hit by a car right when my parents separated. Ooh. So that was like a double whammy. Sure. In fact, we had just been, and my mom got primary custody of me when my parents first split up. And we had just moved to this little apartment that I just found so depressing um, a few miles away from, from my, what I thought of as my house. Right. And, um, and I remember my dad rode his bike over to tell me that my cat had been hit by a car and oh, it was just a basket Janet. case. So sometime after that, I mean, it was, uh, it was not immediate by any stretch. I mean, I, it might've been like a few, it might've been a couple of years. My memory is very poor, but, um, I was, when I was finally able to get a pet at my mom's house and I think by this time she didn't have primary custody of me anymore because she couldn't take me because I was a heathen. It was horrible, horrible, horrible to her. No, you weren't. My mom dumped me back off onto my dad. I kid you not because I was terrible to her and super cool to my dad. I was like angel and devil, oh, angel and devil child. I can't fathom that. was that. terrible because I blamed her clearly. You know what I mean? Like she was the one who quote unquote took me away from my house. Right. And so, and my dad was like much, I don't want to say that he was happy about the separation because he was heartbroken also, but he, you know, he had a girlfriend and like he was doing okay right right and my mom was not and Mm. so my mom was more unhappy so i also you know resented that i was around the parent that was less fun so i was horrible to her so when she gave me back to my dad and was like you take her um how old were you i was when i when when i went back and was with my dad i think i was probably in like maybe fifth grade something like that oh Oh, yeah yeah because my parents split up when i was in like first or second grade whoa um and uh and so but my mom had decided that we could i could get a pet so i don't know what how we settled on this but i ended up getting two mice which i'm sure would have been snake food had i not i mean you know they were just mice so um but one of them was albino and the other one was um black uh white with black spots and what did you name them i named them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i named them after nancy drew's two best friends oh you're um so cute. their names were bess and george and george they're both female uh-huh. and it, it turned out to be more appropriate than we ever could have known because bess was really cute and kind of lazy and a little plump and that's exactly how she's characterized in the nancy drew books oh that's so funny again named them before we knew they were gonna have these personalities and george was super athletic and like a tomboy oh and she was God. just always on the wheel and busy and doing things um but i they were they were really cute and i did love them but i did not i mean my mom totally took care of them yeah and then they got sick and i can't even remember what was wrong with them but my mom had to like feed them little dropperfuls of antibiotics and Aww. stuff and and then they died but i think they lived a lot longer than mice normally would because my mom was a really good mom to them to them specifically uh, no she was a really good mom <clears throat> to those mice <laughs> and to me and to those mice no my mom was great but um so that's that's, that's just something that happens you know, but I need to go back to this, the schnauzer thing for a second and ask a, a semantics question or just ask a, a fact driven question about schnauzers in general, which is, I guess I've heard of miniature schnauzers. Are yeah. there, a, is there a normal size schnauzer? Yeah. And then there's also a giant there's, schnauzer? Yes, there are giants, regular and miniature. And Has she anyone campaigned like- to name them 
venti grandi and i'm sure starbucks is all yeah. over that she looked like a little schnauzer but in an enormous dog's body oh. she was quite special i wish we had seen it daisy daisy just now, a i don't big want to lovable paint a picture. Oaf. my dad used to take her out and like throw a kong for her we had a huge acre a huge acre we had a we had a whole normal acre. do you have a giant acre a miniature <laughs> acre or a normal size it acre was a standard size acre Great. um my dad took care of her sort of but we just like then this little precious fucking purebred you know bought in a drunken stupor dog came into her life and she was just revered i mean she was on a pedestal we i'm gonna have to ask you to try to locate pictures of both oh okay if you can you can if i'm sure i can of of zoe (laughs) (laughs) daisy's like the the stepchild who has no picture you'll give me a picture where it's like and you can actually see the you can see see her tail you can see her tail we push her out of the way to take the picture of zoe (laughs) and her tail got in the way um yeah but zoe was sweet i kept zoe alive zoe lived forever and i kept her alive far too long maybe so maybe that's some sort of retribution but she was in like diapers and i had to give her eight pills a day and (laughs) she had seizures all the time i don't know why no one can make me laugh at tragedy like you (laughs) thank you you're welcome (laughs) my absolute pleasure so nice so so your love of animals has extended from to from childhood on yeah your love and guilt love and your love and guilt towards animals yeah and so now I'm like, uh, it's it it can be all consuming. I've recently taken a step out of it, yeah. out of necessity. But um, like when we first met a year ago, I was fully in doing rescue. Yeah. Um, now I am more of a inactive, an support. advocate, and <laughs> an advocate. And, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm really against like animal testing and fur and all of that stuff i like animals you're right too (laughs) this is not the place where you're going to be told that you're not allowed to be into animals um let's uh let's put the dogs uh into context let's talk about where this was let's put the dogs to sleep let's let sleeping dogs lie yes but let's talk about um where you were living where you're from st louis Mm -hmm. which Today, the the Republican nominee for the Senate gave a wonderful, warm speech about how some rape is justified. Fantastic. Um, really proud. Yeah. Listen, I'm from Arizona, so I've had many, oh, many God. moments of shame. It's horrifying. And chagrin. Yeah. Um, I hope that that like, mm. makes people just vote Democrat. Like, I hope that... To be honest, I was like a Republican. That's what the whole state is, because it's like Catholic and... Um, Wealthy, I mean, it's not all wealthy, obviously, it's Missouri, but I grew up in a wealthy area and what it were and and uh, in St. Louis, yeah, the area you, is called Ledoux. Ledoux, yeah, it even sounds fancy, much Ledoux about nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a good well, so I, I lived in San Francisco until I was 10, East Bay, called uh, a little town called Orinda. That I was don't know real, if I knew that. Really? I love that old movie theater in Arenda. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was that was a really fun place to go. Yeah, that's up. a lovely little nook. Burb, yeah. yeah. Um 
and I did dance and uh, I have a three year uh, a sister who's three years older and we like just would go off and ride our bikes and had freedom. And in St. Louis, we had that also. I don't think that like kids in LA have that sort of thing Yeah, where literally you leave in the morning and your mom's like, be home for dinner and you just make it home for dinner and everything's fine. Yeah. Um, St. Louis was really fun to grow up in. It was very sheltered. Um, very kind of, there wasn't lots of variety <laughs> in people mm-hmm. or. So it was homogenous. It was super homogenous. Yeah. Um, the school that you went to. Very. Even high school? High school. Well, I went to like a fancy private school. What did your parents do? Uh, my mom dabbled in like travel agenting and other things. But she didn't, yeah, she worked. That's not fair to her to say she didn't work. But my dad was a construction engineer and he, like, he grew up on a farm in Rhode Island and put himself through college and um, did two tours in Vietnam and, like, built his career up. And by by the time he passed away, was extremely successful. And Spoiler alert. I can't <laughs> believe I just said that. <laughs> You yeah. are the worst influence on me in the world. <laughs> Sorry, I keep lying down because my neck no, sort I of like bothering it. me. I apologize. That's fine. It feels like we're having a slumber party. With microphones. With microphones. So anyway, I, um, yeah, that's what they did. I never knew what they did. I never, I don't know. It was weird. I never knew what my dad did until I was like in college, basically. But that's so interesting. <clears throat> he traveled a lot. He wasn't around a lot, honestly. Yeah. And actually, he lived in Houston while I was in high school, and he commuted. Okay. Um, and then when I graduated, we all every, they moved out to Pasadena. Some of the stuff I already knew, but I'm remembering now because we talked about it very early on after we got to know each other. Yeah. Um, and also, I've just been playing the host who says, oh, really? But some stuff, I guess, I already oh, knew. Oh, yeah. Um. So you went to a fancy private school? Was it uh, mm-hmm. all girls or was it? It started out all girls and then there was an all boys school and then they combined. Oh, yeah. Was that weird? was a happy day. I was going to say. Well, it started out, they like would have It's like the Brady lunches. Bunch of schools. Yeah, it was. It was very, um, I was really happy about it. Mostly because like one of my, my crush, like I had a crush on the, at the boys school. And so when the, classes combined i got to see him way more and become good friends with him were they but they were never on the same campus like how did you how how were you the campuses were like next door to each other okay it was meant to happen basically so now it's one ginormous campus gotcha um i can't believe i'm about to say this i've never i mean i know so many people went to private school to all girls or all boys private schools and i'm such a public school kid that i but i've never asked this before this is such a square question, but like, I, I for a second I was like, how did they even see each other? Like, where did you? When did you get exposed? Like, where were you seeing these boys that you had crushes on, if not at school? That you, you know what I mean? Before yeah, your schools merged, lunch basically, or like they would do, um, <clears throat> I don't know, like we would go to the boys' school football games or stuff yeah. like that. We, I know. mean, really, like I said, this is we a ridiculous exposure, question. Some exposure. It's a ridiculous question. They expose themselves to us daily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Literally? 
<laughs> well, were they dropping trout? Dropping trout? No, I didn't. That that came later, Janet. Fantastic, Barney. Fantastic. But my little crush, I ended up marrying later. Andy Rosen. Spoiler alert! Again, not a spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, that is so amazing. <coughs> I do love that you ended up marrying your high school crush. Uh, grade school. Your grade school crush. Yeah. We'll we'll come. We'll have to come back around to that. Yeah. Um, I don't want people thinking we like dated in high school. I always think that's creepy. Yeah. I didn't see yeah. him for 13 years and then yeah. we started dating. So. That's what makes it so fun. Yes. It wasn't like we were together from that day forward and we've never even <laughs> well, as much as smooched my virginity another, yeah. to him. And then I knew, Some well, people here it do. Is. Some people make that work. Yeah, I... That wouldn't have been you. I, I question those relationships. Not that it's my place to, but if I'm yeah. being honest... Yeah. I do. I think, I think, oh, okay, either this is going to be a beautiful thing that's going to end in like old, old people and when Harry met Sally documentary interviews, or you're going to get divorced at some point and both of you are going to turn into like 21 year olds again. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It could go either way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if I know anyone who married their high school sweetheart. I don't know that I have anyone in my life who did that. Yeah, me neither. Uh, so we're. I free would to, let them know so how we're I free felt to judge. about it. Yeah, we're free to judge them in, in the abstract. Yeah, that's, that's right. not what we do here. I on don't the JV know Club. anyone who has this, but this is how I would feel about them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know anyone who has this, as if it's a disease. Who's <laughs> <laughs> been diagnosed with <laughs> sweetheart marriageitis? <laughs> um, so, okay, so uh, this is the picture we painted so far: neglectful of animals. <laughs> um oh, rich I, i'm sorry can i racist i can't say it no you can oh okay yeah keep going there's curse listen and and to those and by the way some of you marvelous listeners are parents who have taken the time out to tell me that you have or 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 you have younger sisters or brothers or you know younger people in your lives that you've turned onto the podcast and some of you have expressed um outrage no, I, not no outrage. I'm happy to say, disdain. but um, but <laughs> and and less disdain, Elizabeth, than you might expect. But they, there's been this sort of like, you know, I'm not crazy about the references to drugs and alcohol or to sex and happening in high school. But um, I think that you know, hopefully, the benefits outweigh the the costs of that honesty. And I try to to write back to each one of you and say I completely understand that. And I've I've questioned, you know, whether or not I wanted people to curse or whether or not mm-hmm. I wanted people to acknowledge that stuff um, because I do like the idea of this podcast being a resource for teens. I guess. My response to them usually is um, that uh, that I I'm totally committed to being honest here, and I yeah. don't want to create. I I believe in I believe in role models, and I believe that young women should not have sex before they're ready, and I believe that you know um, you shouldn't do drugs in high school because it really screwed me up. However, I can't pretend like I didn't do them yeah, in an wanna... effort to make girls not do it or little boys not do. It. I can't. I just can't pretend that that didn't happen. Yeah. I just like to say at this point in time to those listeners who I also respect their their angle, um, but your little sister or kids are already hearing about all of this in maybe the wrong ways at school yeah. or whatever. So, um, 
why not? I don't know. I, I think it's kind of futile to ask a podcast to censor yeah. itself. And again, no one has. So, but, but I understand the reservation about like, ugh, you know, that, you know, we do talk about sensitive material and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I mean, I think if I, if, if I was exposed to what I was exposed to in high school and I was, um, then it, then it just, lots of trout dropping, uh, lots of trout, <laughs> lots of trout, not so much trout dropping. Although I've, I have seen naked. I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast before, but this is a totally different tangent. I have been exp- the two times that someone has exposed them. Okay, three times someone <laughs> has exposed themselves to me, strangers. Uh, two out of three times that someone exposed themselves to me was in Europe at like national like at monuments or like at na- like oh. for example, I one guy uh, flashed me at Versailles. Whoa! And the other Fancy. guy. W- flashed me at um one of the museums in florence italy oh isn't that weird that is weird that's like a, yeah, a thing my, i guess i've been ex- i've been on a train in paris gotten the old one-eyed willy well, let me ask you this <laughs> the because third one though it should be noted as your current boyfriend that's right and we were <laughs> we fell madly in love the third one was actually quite grim uh, and if we, if you want to go down that road, I can tell the story on this I podcast. I don't to think now. I've told it, but um, before I tell the third grim story, I will say that the first two, I don't know how anybody, I, I don't, I would never want anyone to have that experience if it made them uncomfortable. I have to say that it, the both experiences, both the other experiences in Italy and in Paris, um, or Versailles, sorry. Uh, excuse me very much. <laughs> were so benign that I, it wasn't like they were scarring in any way. I mean, I understand it's public indecency and like that. That's yeah, it, there yeah, is yeah. it's a sexual act and it's inappropriate, right? But um, but it it was not like I'm just wondering from your experience. Was it something that you felt affected you in some way, or did you no. did it make you uncomfortable? Did you no the the thing I saw something happen that made me more uncomfortable than the the. I think I've been, someone's exposed themselves to me like two or three times maybe in New York and Paris. I saw a guy on a subway, a packed New York City subway during like rush hour. And he seen, this is, he looked totally normal, like businessman, like even Wall Streety. And everyone like, you know, when it's coming to the stop, everyone lines up in front of the door to get off. Yeah. And I watched him literally, like everyone's pressed up against each other and he pressed his crotch up against this woman and then put his hand like to press up against her. But she didn't even notice because everyone's so crowded. But it was such a creepy, weird, like... so disturbing. That was way more disturbing to me than than the guy just being like, eh. Yeah. So, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's well, saddle up because this is what happened to me. Maybe I did tell this on a podcast. I can't remember, guys. I'm sorry if I'm retelling this story. I don't think I did. Maybe I told it on someone else's podcast. I'll just tell it. We to- feel free to tune same. out. Feel free to tune out if I've already told the naked man story. Um, I was in. I was probably 13, and I was. Uh, behaving my worst 13 or 14 maybe i was at my worst stages of behavior like like taking a lot of drugs and staying out late and being up all night and all that kind of stuff and i was staying at my friend um i won't say her name i I mean i guess i could say her first name i was staying at my friend michelle's 
and she lived in a trailer park. And we she lived in where? she lived in a trailer park. Okay, I know that's something someone like you couldn't <laughs> <What>? understand. But <laughs> don't worry, she was Caucasian. What? Just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, I want to be very clear and say that we are being faux racist, a hundred percent faux racist, guys. I'm teasing Elizabeth as if she were a person she is not. Um, but uh, but we were walking to get cigarettes at the convenience store cool. that were a few blocks away from the trailer park, and uh, we were barefoot. Cooler. In Tucson. Uh, in probably like 11 o'clock at night. Oh my gosh. And we walked up to the, we walked to the place and we got our cigarettes and we, and here's another opportunity for me to be very preachy. Do not do any of what I'm describing. It is the reason that what happened to me happened to me is for all of the reasons I just listed. Irresponsible, bad choices. And also, I was never a serious smoker, guys. And if there's one thing I should tell you never to do, it's smoke because it is disgusting. Ah, oh, it's the worst. Um... So I was, but yeah, so we got our cigarettes, we were walking back and there was a car that was parked, um, near the sidewalk, like in a, in a, in a deserted parking lot, but you know, it wasn't parked in a parking space. It was like parked such in such a way as to make the driver's side of the door be kind of near to the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And we Ooh. couldn't see that there was anyone in it or anything, but definitely got a weird feeling. Yeah. And so as we were walking together, we both just kind of unconsciously, I think I took her hand and we just sort of started walking like a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And when we reached the point at which we were passing the car, uh, the driver's side door opened up and a naked man got out and he said, hey, girls, want to touch? And Ooh. I let go of Michelle's hand and I said, Michelle, run. And we both started running. Um, but he got, he ran up to me and he grabbed me and he grabbed me from behind and grabbed my breasts. Like he grabbed with one in each hand like from behind me and pulled me against him. And I like elbowed him in the stomach. And by the way, I mean, I would love to say like, and I was such a badass that I elbowed him in the stomach. Please. I was a a terrified 14 year old kid barefoot you know, on like shorts and a tank top or whatever, but just instinctively I, I, I yeah. got him in the stomach and he let go of me and I ran and, um, I've never run. I'm sure I've never run so fast in my life. Good. And, uh, yeah. I like, I caught up to her and passed her, you know? Yeah. 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 And then we both ran and we did, he, he, we heard him get into his car and start his engine. So he was like going to follow us. So we ran and we got into like the entrance to the trailer park and hid behind the sign for the trailer park and watched his car like roll slowly Ew, past. Oh my God. Janice. But this is the worst part. The worst part is, um, is that we didn't report it because we went inside and told her mom what happened. And her mom had drugs in the trailer and she was like, I can't afford to involve the police. So, what I live with every day is, did he do that to someone else and were they harmed but in a way that I was not? you were a child. It was that mom's responsibility, which yeah. I'm guessing, based on the drugs, that maybe she wasn't the most yeah. responsible mom. Yeah. So the moral there is, you did the right thing. You ran and you like had, you felt instinct, you know, before that. And then you did the right thing in telling an adult and- yeah that then you transfer that responsibility and the moral is don't have a mom that does. Drugs unless- <laughs> yeah. And- poor. Yeah. Poor everyone involved in that story. Um, I Michelle sincerely now? hope that that guy, yeah, that that guy was stopped. And I, and I do feel a lot of 
rage and uh, protection towards young women, I think, yes. for that reason. Um, but uh, but I don't know that it, it I don't know that it harmed me in any sort of like um, on a personal level in the in a way that like it changed the way I view men or my relationships to men or anything like that, because I have a really positive association with men and with well, sexuality I, and all that stuff I but think you i feel a lot of anger towards predators right yeah definitely i mean you were violated but i think that you probably dodged having yeah. been really violated like yeah. so um so that's dark that's a really messed up story Ooh. um but it this i think this stuff happens to a lot of people yeah um but talk about derailing a train i don't even know how this got started Oh, that you, that you, it got started just with you saying that boys expose themselves to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. A totally light, like, just happenstance Jokes expression. Turn yeah. into. Yeah. Okay. I have a, fu- I, sorry, I have a crazy story. I think I've told you this the voiceover coach. I don't think so. Okay. If you have, I'm going to hear this it. This is my violated story. This is my really violated story. Um, it, I'm very, very sensitive to women being violated. And like, even if a guy is like whistles at me on the street, I not always, but I have like turned to him and been like, that is not effective. It makes me feel bad. Like, you know, I have also vocalized <laughs> responses to stuff like similar, that. I yeah. feel like it's like, and where that, and for me, where that anger comes, it comes so fast. Yes. Me it comes too. from nothing. I it's, could be in a really, really great mood and someone says something inappropriate to me. And it is shocking to me how furious I get. How, yeah. and, and so quickly without planning to. Yes. It can just ruin. <clears throat> yeah. So I've definitely never told this story because I I had just started dating my now husband and um, I was doing voiceover lessons and I had this coach. I won't say his name. I don't even remember it, honestly. Um, but I'm sure he's still in action. And you feel bad as a 13-year-old for not having reported something. I feel, I mean, I maybe should still. Um, but You're going to have to remember his name first. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to remember who he is. I'm sure I could find it. He's like a well-known voiceover coach in New York. And I was taking less private lessons from him. And I, it was in this like 12th floor of a building. And he had an office and then connected to it was a proper recording studio with a vocal booth. booth. And you hear my voice. It's like very, it is what it is. It's not like I'm going to be doing like, sexy ads for blah 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 but right off the bat he started grooming me in hindsight i can see this and having me do a real sex like the first order of business was getting me like a sexual voice down for commercials and stuff like that and i went to like five lessons and he showed me the picture of his newborn baby and he talked about getting married to his beautiful wife and like he seemed like this real family man and all along he was grooming me and then like the sixth lesson i went in and he we it was the first one we were going into the vocal booth and he was in the studio part and it was dark and it's like soundproof uh-huh. and locked out from the rest of the world. And he was talking about doing this Bud Light ad that he had done. Um, his whole thing with me, well, his whole thing in grooming me was 
that voiceover people don't take seriously, but it is acting and you have to connect with all of those real emotions. And you as a voiceover artist know that that is true. True. Um, and so, you know, he had that ingrained in me and he had, he said like what I needed to work on was like letting go, like sexually I was guarded. And if I'm doing these sexy sounded, sounding oh like God. AT&T, you know, whatever, yeah. I had to let go. And so we finally get into the vocal booth and he had me do this Bud Light ad. And he said he had done this specific Bud Light ad. And I did a take of it. And he was like, you're still so like wound up or whatever, like uptight feeling. And he's like, let me tell you something. When I did this ad with the actress, I, um, we ended up taking off all of our clothes and it really helped us to like let go and I was like, okay, keep in mind, I'm like 25. I, he's groomed me so much that I respect this guy so much. He's telling me like, I'm so great. I'm going to get an agent. I'm really going to have a career in voiceover and all of this shit. Yeah. Um, so I did it again and I did it again. And he was like, hang on, I'm coming in. And he came in and he was, um, oh wait, no. First he, he somehow convinced me to take off my top. Oh my God. To let go. Like first it was like unbuttoning it. Then I took it off and he wanted me to like touch my breasts and oh stuff. Oh my God. And then he came into the booth completely naked in a booth. And you know how little these booths are. And I, we did the copy. <sighs> Him standing there naked. And I honestly don't remember what happened. I'm, I, I'm maybe he asked me to continue taking he he did he asked me to take off my pants and that was when I was like no I can't and so then it was like over and then he played it off like um I think you really like that really helped like you made some progress and like you know sorry if it got a little crazy but I just like I believe in you so much oh my god so I went home and I told Andy my husband now and we were just kind of newly dating and his reaction. I mean, he was like mad at me, which now when I look at like women who have been raped and actually a good friend of mine recently was like when she was drunk and she actually has a, a very serious boyfriend mm -hmm. and it's very complicated. Like the notion that women are asking for it or, they could have avoided it and didn't act is like so infuriating to me now, it's probably just because of this. Like I can be disappointed in myself looking back at that, but unless you're there and like he had groomed me and like, yes, I took my shirt off, but, and I avoided something actually happening, but I don't yeah. think by much yeah. and I'm sure he's done it to other women. So a couple of days later I called him to cancel <laughs> course everything and he was in a session and i was like i want you to know i was shaking so hard and i was like i want you to know what you did was so inappropriate and i'm not going to report you but i probably should um you know and the reason i didn't at the time is because i still felt this guilt like i somehow i, I totally get it and andy was so mad at me because from his mindset it's like we're newly dating. We're falling in love with each other. Like, am I this easily manipulated? Yes. yes. In his mind, he's like, was she attracted to him? But, like, and also this? above and beyond that, it's just, it's so, 
he, he yeah i mean he was jealous i mean you yes. know what i'm saying like it's not well, it's all that, of that stuff and it's also like my girlfriend doesn't take her shirt off for anyone yes, but me exactly. like what's going on here exactly which yeah understood he's not wrong right no but neither are you wrong right like it's all it is you're absolutely it's so complicated yeah so that was i mean even though like comparing that to an actual rape or like serious assault you know nothing actually happened is it's it's a huge long leap but that's my only kind of window into the emotional aspect of that and even what i felt from that it makes me have like an understanding of one fraction of what women go through who are actually assaulted or raped and it's the it's i feel like society it's one area society is so backwards on still we're still really broken about it it's so interesting that all this would come up because this has not been on my mind at all Uh, or maybe it has been Freudian wise, and I wanted to talk about this, but I, I just did a segment on the on on Huff Post Live with Jennifer Beals um, because she's doing this web series. What if this were just like the longest con in me trying to promote Huff Post Live? <laughs> it's funny we would bring all of this up and talk about really painful material because I can now promote this. No, this, there's that is absolutely not what's going well, this on. Just but all worked out great. It, it, this what a great fun coincidence. We just did we just did a segment on uh, she's on this web series and uh, and it's 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 dealing with um, sexual assault in the military, which by the way happens to men more than happens to women because it's a numbers game and it's a power, a power game and it's about power. So it happens to straight and homosexual men in the military more than happens to women because there just are more. Right. Um, but, uh, but sexual assault in the military. And, and we talked about this with an advocate and with a survivor and, um, and it 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 still it absolutely one hundred percent still is this idea, and that's within a very tightly knit organization. Yeah, it's the whole "a few good men" thing. Honestly, I mean, if you've seen that movie, imagine that that kid wasn't brutalized just physically. Imagine right. that it was a, per- a man or a woman who was raped. There, all of that stuff exists. That whole idea of like you got to report it to your commanding officer, and they, if they choose to, they can report it to blah blah blah. And there's, you know, if it's happening when you're stationed in Afghanistan, you are taught that there are things at stake more important than your mental and emotional and physical health. Right, and that is a very real thing. Yeah. So this, you know, we spoke with someone who was raped, and she didn't report it for like three years because she honestly was going through so much just being there Mm -hmm. that she was like i can't deal with this right now Mm -hmm. i can't even deal with the ramifications of coming forward with the the possibility that i might not be believed or with the possibility that i may be judged or judged by my fellow um officers all of that stuff and it's not something i spend i mean listen guys you know it's not you know that this this podcast is not intentionally a feminist platform uh by any means it's not it really isn't and it's Mm -hmm. not I don't get on here to be didactic. I don't mean to, but this stuff does come up. And yeah. then, and, but my point is that I, I don't spend a lot of time. I probably should spend more time walking around thinking about what happens to women and men and advocating for a more transparency everywhere yes. and less blaming the victim or survivor or what have you. And I don't. And so when I was doing this segment, I was just like, I just get, you know, that you hear about this stuff and it's like getting horrified afresh all the time. Well, I also think like going back to my friend who recently 
you know, this, this happened to her. Um, it was a real wake up call for me because I think we have this false sense of security. We have this false sense of empowerment, but when it, especially for women and I, and it, it is a power thing and that does make sense in the military. This happens to men too. And it happens to boys like children, but ultimately if there are people out there who are physically stronger than you and will capitalize on that. And so, or by the way, <clears throat> emotionally stronger than you or men, right. you know what I mean? Right. In terms yes. of like, yeah, like this guy, this the manipul- Yeah. He, he, he was in a, a, position, a position of power, of power and, and manipulated you yeah. accordingly. Yeah. Um, oy vey. Oy vey. <laughs> oh, Look what at a these tangent, guys. I know. Sorry, but listen, sometimes you just got to get it out. All right, we can lighten it up. Um, so that's our, that's our prerogative. So your parents died. Uh, I mean, what, before, okay, before we get into that, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go back almost as if this never happened. That was like a chapter. I'm glad that we talked about it. Uh, but, um, so your school's merged. <laughs> it's hard to bounce back from that conversation, oh but God. I'm going to attempt to clunkily try. Let's talk about what music were you into? Like, let's talk about some super superficial light. Really into and Fish what, and Dave Matthews and all of those hippy dippy. Yeah, this is a good palate cleanser. Yes. Um, Went lots to lots of big amphitheater fish shows. What I, were your friends like? Were your, did you have a group of girlfriends that you were really close to? Or did you have... Yeah, I'd say, you know what? I did. I definitely did. I had wonderful girlfriends. I was friends with a lot of guys. I was, I, I was popular, but I wasn't in the popular group like i but i was welcome there. i think i was the girl who was kind of friends with everyone but i wasn't exclusive like it's easy for me to picture oh thanks yeah i liked it i liked my spot um i kind of avoided all the drama for the most part and was uh yeah just our class actually in high school we had a great class like if there was a party and maybe maybe i'm naive here maybe there are people who would beg to differ but i think everyone in our class was like welcome there wasn't like you know the popular kids would not be caught dead you know sometimes people say on the podcast if you think that there wasn't a clique of popular kids you must have been in it or like if you think that everyone was no welcome, i mean you must have been one of the popular kids. i was aware of the popular group yeah. for sure there was there for sure was but I think because we had a small class and we had a class of like 120. So maybe that's why I have just sheer need for bodies. But yeah. I feel like. Had your sister gone to the same school? Mm-hmm. She's three years older than you. Yeah. Did you, what was your experience like in terms of like sort of following in her footsteps? Was you, are you similar? Or are you very different? Um, we're pretty different. Like she, but I definitely, I mean, I, she did dance so i did dance she she was more intellectual <laughs> my mom you know how moms like give you labels mm-hmm. um, she, was she the smart one she was the smart one who was gonna succeed <laughs> and, <laughs> and i was like the bubbly so outgoing she one that would have was friends. zoe and you were daisy i was daisy no but i was i was zoe we both had zoe aspects of ourselves mm-hmm. i was like bubbly and had lots of friends and Anna marie was like bookish and um and in, coincidentally, they put all this pressure on her to do 
everything perfectly and they always suspected her of like being naughty and they were so hard on her. And meanwhile, I was like doing drugs and having sex and like being naughty, but they never suspected that I ever, I got away with all of it. Yeah. Well, how young were you when you started doing that kind of stuff? Um, probably 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I did it in a, a manageable way, sort mm-hmm. of. I didn't like, I socially would smoke pot. That's the only drug I ever did until college. Mm-hmm. When that all changed. <laughs> um, and I like, had sex with the guy who ended up being my long-term boyfriend. So I was never... And you didn't feel like you were doing stuff out of unhappiness. It was more just par- being part of the scene and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like some of the stuff I did was because I was unhappy. Yeah, it sounds like. I mean, I think... <clears throat> I honestly think I had quite a pleasant... Like, if there there was stuff with my parents, but I was almost sort of oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. So I had a pleasant upbringing i and i didn't really act out or you know i i kind of skimmed by with everything i got like bees mm-hmm. <laughs> i love all the picture you're painting is i can it's very easy to see yeah in my head i was head cheer, i was captain of cheerleader oh for i two didn't see years, that coming okay but i wasn't it the cheerleading squad was not a popularity contest like and i wasn't like the captain because i was a cute girl on top of the pyramid i was the captain because i like had the most team spirit yeah and then and would like get people excited to cheer. Yeah. <laughs> you I was were there always, to do the work. I did the it work. It was about the work. It wasn't about the I was the always the status. bottom of the pyramid. Like, <laughs> get on up there, cutie patootie. I love it. I love it. You were like the mom. You were like the yeah. mom of the cheerleading squad. Um, so w- were you involved in theater and writing and comedy? Yeah, I was, what? Um, I, was, I was involved in like, we had a big musical theater program. So I was always in the chorus of the I musical love, theater production stop, stop it i never stop was it star. with this person that's so <laughs> that yeah, each thing that rolls out is fantastic i was like me and my friend summer were the first freshmen to be cast in the big musical theater production and then i was in it for four years but i was never i never got the lead or like any roles really other than being <laughs> like the backup uh, lady so, yeah, I mean, it was fun. It's funny. There's this like St. Louis, there's a St. Louis thing where and it, when people ask you what school you went to, they're asking your high school. Like if someone answers with college, you're like, oh, you're not from here. Interesting. And um, there's this blog I just saw recently and it's like little gifts of, and it's like things that you only understand if you grew up in St. Louis. And one of them was like, Anyone else, when you ask about their high school experience, and the gif is them being like, oh, God, it was horrible. And if you ask St. Louis kids, it was like, it was the best time of my life. I don't know why. And I'm sure that for many people, that's not true. But um, there's a real sense of like the glory days uh-huh. in St. Louis. Like a lot of people stay in St. Louis and have their families and marry people from their high schools. And so I guess that wasn't going to be you, though, as it turned out. No, no. God, no. When, so <laughs> did you know that you wanted to, you definitely wanted to get out of Missouri as much as that you were having a great experience? I did, yeah. You had, where did you have your sights set? You know, I guess Hollywood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hollywood, USA. I just, I always wanted to act, which I'm not doing anymore. But 
I always wanted to perform and act. And so even though I didn't get the lead roles and everything, I still was like, I guess, naive enough to think like i'm gonna go for it i'm going to hollywood i don't i don't know how naive that is i I think it's more naive to be the star in a school play and to assume that you're going to be a superstar you know it's yeah and it also doesn't sound like you were assuming that you were going to be you know a superstar you no maybe you were but no (laughs) you were just like let's see this would be great yeah and i think my sister didn't love St. Louis that much. We moved there when she was 13 and she had a bit of a harder time. So I kind of knew she wouldn't end up there. And then when my parents moved away, I don't know. And where did they move? They moved to Pasadena. Oh, that's right. Um, and so I went to, I started school in Ohio and then sophomore year transferred to Santa Barbara Okay. and then moved to Hollywood and I became a famous actress. Did you never live in New York? I did live in New okay. York. So, so I lived in Hollywood for three years. Things after Santa going, Barbara. After Santa Barbara. Yeah. I started doing stand-up just as a means of like doing something because when I moved here, it was like I, I didn't fit this mold of this. I was 20, um, but I didn't look like this hot young 20-year-old wearing a bikini who was going to book like commercials or whatever. Right. So I started doing stand-up just so I could perform. And then that's how I got into comedy. And then I had this guy living with me. Um, and that didn't work. So I moved to New York. Okay. <laughs> that almost sounded like a roommate situation, but I gather that you meant it was a relationship. It was a relationship. Okay. And I've talked about this a few times. I just told a story in a, during a show. I, I uh, We lived together for two years. He was the first guy I met at a bar when I moved to Hollywood. My parents had passed away the year before. I asked him to move in with me. He was reluctant. I said I'd pay for everything. He did. And then a couple years into it, living together, um, I mean, he was fine. But I found his wedding album. And um, I thought maybe I should get out. (laughs) (laughs) You think? So I did. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, let's take it back. Let's get into it. Let's talk about what happened uh, to your parents. So... I unplugged their invisible fence mm-hmm. when the gardeners were over. Yep. And Tyler Cordy ran over them. Oh, wait, that's Daisy. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> so, yeah, my parents moved to Pasadena. And I should say, you know, my dad lived in Houston. Their marriage was not great when I was in high school, which I, like, sort of ignored. Do you think that it was a product of him being gone or do you think he was gone because it already wasn't great? I think he was gone because it wasn't great. Um, and then they moved to Pasadena and like they were teenagers again in love. Like they were so happy. I don't know what had changed, but, um, they were living together. They had their dream house and it was great for like a, a minute. And then my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and then um they did this like huge surgery called the whipple and she did great and i went back to school in ohio and then um my sophomore year i was like went back for my sophomore year of college and my dad called and told me like the cancer had come back and i kind of knew that summer she seemed a little off and so um I knew right then that I had to come home. She didn't have long to live, but they were going to do everything they could. Like 
my dad was pulling every string. Like Ross Perot was going to help him get in with some amazing oncologist in Houston and all of this stuff. But I just knew, and I was like, I'm dropping out of school and I'm coming home. And my dad forbade me. I'd never stood up to him before. And I just did it. I went and dropped out of school and I drove cross country home and he wouldn't talk to me for like a week when I got home. But then I started classes at Santa Barbara. And so I would be at Santa Barbara like three days a week and then Pasadena four days a week with my mom. And I really was. She died three months later and I was there with her every week, um, which was awesome. And she, (laughs) this is so weird, but um, just interesting tidbit. She died. So I, I was a debutante and like, all of my friends in St. Louis were debutantes and they have this big ball every year. And um, I knew she was dying and I obviously wasn't going to go, but she insisted that me and my sister go. And so my sister and I like said goodbye to my mom and I knew I was saying goodbye to her. (sighs) And then uh, it was horrible because that was the hardest conversation I've ever had, obviously. She said she was going to hang on until I got back, but I just knew. Um, And I was walking out of the house and like our housekeeper was hysterically crying and was like, don't go, don't go. And then we, I had my debutante ball and like that night it's at this hotel and we got back to the hotel room and I just saw this red light on the phone and I knew, you know, and it was my dad saying, call me sweetie. And so, like, I called him. I'm in my ball gown. And he told me that she was gone. And I had, like, 60 close friends in my hotel room, you know, within a matter of minutes. It was like, I think she had kind of planned it. She didn't want us to be there. And we were surrounded by so many people that we, like, loved. So, so that happened. And then... Went back, went back to school. My dad had taken a lot of work off while she how, was How sick. old were you exactly? I was 19. Yeah. Um, and my dad was traveling a ton. He was like lost. And I would try to be home when he was home, but he was like not taking care of himself. And I knew I had told one of my friends, I'm like really paranoid that my dad's going to die. He seemed, and my mom was 53 and he was 53. Um, and then I came home for my sister's birthday. We were having a birthday party and like I took a shower. This was eight months later. And P.S. My dad was so heartsick. Like he had fallen so much in love with my mom and didn't know what to do with himself. He, eight months after she died, took my sister and I on their honeymoon. Like we re went through their honeymoon in Germany mm-hmm. and Austria, which is a weird place to honeymoon. But anyway, two months after that, um, yeah, I came home to Pasadena for my sister's birthday party. And like the phone was ringing off the hook and I had taken a shower and it just kept ringing. And finally I answered it. And my sister said like, where have you been? I've been trying to get a hold of you. Um, and I was in my parents' room. I remember it so clearly. And she said, dad had a heart attack. And I said, well, where is he? Like, cause he had been playing tennis. Um, and I was thinking like, which hospital, where do I go? And she said he died. 
That was it. I was so I was I was just I had turned 20 the month before. So in 10 months, you know, I lost both of my parents and it was uh horrible. And we didn't really my sister and I had we're very close now, but at the time we were not very close. We handled my mom's death in really different ways. Um and she was dating her husband and was like in the new throes of that and was had support there. And so I, I was really, really alone and we don't really have relatives who are close. Um, so it was hard. It was a hard few years, but, uh, I think I like to think I, I never knew I could get through something like that. Yeah. So, I think I'm stronger for it, you know. Of course you're stronger for it. And I also, I always like to say, like, I really loved my parents and it was really cool seeing them at the end fall back in love. And I feel, I mean, of course I wish that they were here today, but I do feel like I had, they gave me so much, you know, so I don't, I no longer, this was, you know, 12 years ago. So I no longer have the feeling of like jealousy if other people are talking about their parents or something like that. I mean, I, that went away a long time ago. Like, I feel like I had them the way I was supposed to. And I was so fortunate to have such great parents to begin with. And that was, you know, that's my story. Like I had them and then they died young and, um, but I carry them with me and so does my sister. And so fine, but it was hard. Do you, um, do you, do you have a closeness with, with your, with Andy's family in terms of like when you, when you, when you take on a marriage and when you take on a relationship, is there a piece of that that feels like you're, I mean, obviously nobody's saying that it would ever be the same, but is there a sense, I mean, do you have somebody, you know, I, I don't, I, I have, I actually lost her a couple of years ago, but I, there are, I've had female figures and, and male figures that if I had lost one of my parents, I, I know kind of who I would go to yes. in a crisis or who I would call, you know, who would become that voice for me. Yeah. Did you, I know that you didn't have, and they are not my relatives, by the way. They're, you know, friends of my fa- my parents. Yeah, I um, had Friends a couple, of my dad specifically. A couple family friends' parents, or like my friends, like my friend Annie, my friend Kendall, their parents really stepped up. It was that weird gray area because I was 19. I wasn't 18. They couldn't adopt me, but I felt like I had a lot of support from them and they kind of went the extra mile to like take me in and for holidays. Actually, I know that was hard for Anna Marie because she didn't have that as much, my sister, but she had her boyfriend. Um, I'm sure we both felt very alone in our own ways, you know. Um, And now Anna Marie is at like, if I need to go to anyone... But Andy's family, I have a special bond with, like, I love them, but they're really different from my family. And both my sister and I have like realized this. And I think in any marriage, like, it's not always the same. Like everyone's dynamic is different. And my mother-in-law is very warm and sweet, but 
she's not the same. I mean, she's not, it's not, it's totally different from the way my mom was with me. I would never, you just, I don't know. You can't, it doesn't come close. Like, uh, to the feeling of belonging or like someone that's yours. I still feel, I always will feel like I'm the daughter-in-law, you know? Yeah. And we have a good daughter-in-law, mother-in-law relationship, but, um, yeah, it's not, but Andy is that person to me. Like he is very much my, he is my family now and my sister and my brother-in-law and my nephews, like that's my family. So I feel totally blessed I don't want for anything, you yeah. know, in that department. Um, I had a sweet conversation with Andy recently and I just asked him if he felt like he knew my parents because that's that's a sad thing to me. Um, and I should say, like, my mom knew about him when I was a little girl, you know, because I had a crush on him. Yeah. Which gives me some weird comfort, but... Um, he said he does think he knows them, which is cool. It's not like I talk about them all the time, but he, I have enough, or, you know, he has a sense enough of who they were, which is good. Yeah. Do you want to tell, uh, should we end on a, on a, on a happier note and tell just quickly recap uh your crush on him and how he came back into your life and, yeah. and, and end with that no let's so just that i can here. dry my eyes <laughs> <laughs> this is good okay so andy was my little crush when i was in sixth grade seventh grade and his friend josh had a crush on me and Andy had a crush on Beth Bruner. So that <laughs> is, ain't that the oh, rub? It's a beautiful script. <laughs> um, but he, his family moved to Idaho when he was in eighth grade. And I never heard from or saw him again. I, a friend of mine went to college with him. And I remember asking her like, oh my God, what's he like now? Yeah. And she was like, he smokes. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, cool. You know? Um, so... I always thought of him though. And like, he was my first real serious crush. And, you know, I, I, I like to think that I kind of stacked up other guys next to him throughout my life. And I was always attracted to what I envisioned he would end up looking like sort of. Um, and then, so 13 years later, I, I had been living in New York for a couple of years. I was out, with my girlfriend, Pammy, we had gone to dinner and then we were going to a bar, um, because I had left my corporate advertising job and it was my graduating from bartending school party that night, (laughs) (laughs) which I never put to use. But, um, we were in the East village and I heard my name being called. It was a busy Friday night and I turned around and um, this guy ran up to me and he was like, are you Elizabeth lame? And I said, yes. And he said, I'm Andy Rosen, Andrew Rosen. And I like tackled him and I did not recognize him at all. He was not, he did not look the way I envisioned he would end up looking, but, um, he was adorable and like, (sighs) and we spent the whole night together and not like we went to my thing. He had things. It was one of those like summer New York nights and, um, at like, 6 a.m. we went back to his apartment because we were next to it 
and crashed and he didn't, I think he kissed me, like pecked me, but nothing happened. And then the next, he had to go to work at seven and I went home and I like called him later that day. And like, we've just been together ever since. <laughs> you love it so much. Yeah. I love it so much. And here's because you're one of, you're a witchy woman, um, <laughs> Janet Varney, you'll appreciate yep. this. So the night my mom died when I was at my debutante ball, when I finally went to the bathroom to like wash off my, you know, puffy face and take off my gown, I had this, I stayed in the bathroom for a really long time and I had this song playing on repeat in my head and it's, and it was so like happy that I was confused, but I couldn't not hear it. It was like deafening and it was, um, the, I can see clearly now the rain is gone and I just took it as a sign from my mom and I would hear it not very often. You don't hear it on the radio that often, but it just different. Like every time I hear it, I feel like it's her, you know, and it, I would always hear it at very like profound times. And the morning that Andy went for to work at 7am, I went and got a cab and I got in the cab and that song was playing. <sighs> And I had a feeling about it. Like I felt like she had, you know, I don't know. I don't believe I like this is going into a whole other realm of belief, but I do believe that her spirit was involved in that, you know? Sure. So yay. Yay. (laughs) What a beautiful story. Uh, I'm not going to try to pull everything full circle like I try to do sometimes. I'm just going to thank you so much for doing the podcast and for sharing all of that with us. Thanks for having me. And to welcome uh, comments and questions from our wonderful, wonderful listeners. I I said this, I I say this on almost every podcast now, but as time has gone by and I can't even believe that this is, you know, we're just looking at, uh, you know, give or take uh, a quarter of a hundred, uh, uh, just a tiny sliver of the amount of episodes that um, so many of my friends who have podcasts like you have done, but just the pe- the people that that I've been uh, become acquainted with, uh, the fans are your j- just your stories are in good hands. You know, I, I've yeah. said that since, particularly since Maria Bamford and Kulop and episodes like that. But um, you know, you 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 start with an idea of something silly and fun to talk about that maybe puts a spring in people's steps and maybe it makes people feel empowered or encouraged, uh, and things get you know more emotional. Daisy and certain yeah <laughs> certain stories that uh, aren't necessarily all about the laughs or even the upside of things but um I feel like you're you're in very good ears yeah uh, with the people who listen to this podcast so thank you so much Elizabeth Lame thanks for having me I love me. you I love you and uh we'll see you guys next time on the podcast As always, the JV Club theme song is Before We Were Brittle, courtesy of the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.